3: By now, you know that sound. It's the sound of the Home Depot. But what about those sounds? Those are the sounds of an LG wash tower with ultra-large capacity, serving up a powerful yet gentle clean in just 29 minutes. Making this the sound of savings on the best appliance brands. The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Get up to 25% off the LG wash tower with ultra-large capacity and reduced wash time. Pricing valid January 5th through January 25th, 2023. Gas Dryer Extra. U.S. only. See store online for details.
2: Welcome to Performance Anxiety. I'm your host, Mark, and I want to thank our sponsors, AKG, for sending us their podcaster essentials kit. It's got a Lyra mic and headphones, and they are high quality, low cost, and it's a great way to get into podcasting if you've ever thought about doing your own. I'm so pleased to release this episode. I have such a great guest in Donna Jean Godshow, but I'm also joined by my good friend and former podcast co-host, Tommy Caprio. Donna Jean has been part of some legendary recordings like Percy Sledges' When a Man Loves a Woman and Elvis' 68 Comeback. That was all before she moved to California from Muscle Shoals, Alabama. She moved just to have an adventure. Music wasn't even the reason. But then she saw the Grateful Dead and she and her husband Keith joined the band and toured the world from 1972 to 1979 as part of the band. She's been doing her own music ever since including a new remix of the song Shelter by Donna Jean and the Tricksters. I want to thank Donna Jean for joining me and Tommy for lending his Grateful Dead knowledge to the show. Check out the remix of Shelter wherever you get music, and check out Tommy's podcasts, The Unsolicited and I'm Walking Here. Follow us at Performance ANX. Coffee is always accepted at ko-fi.com/slash Performance Anxiety. Merch like T-shirts, shower curtains, mugs is available at performanceanx.threadless.com. Review the show. It helps more people find it. Now join me and Tommy Caprio as we chat with Donna Jean Godshow on Performance Anxiety, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network.
1: Hi, everybody. This is Donna Jean Godshow. And I am formerly of the Grateful Dead, formerly of a lot of bands. But uh, of late, I have a single out called Shelter that I would like for all of you to hear, and I hope you do like it. And uh, as a matter of fact, you are listening to Performance Anxiety.
2: So you are from Florence, Alabama.
1: That's one of my places <laughs> <laughs> that so, I'm from. Is that,
2: now, is that where you're from originally? Born and raised? Yes. Okay, so the, yes. you know the first question I have to ask you. What? Roll Tide or War Eagle?
1: I refuse to answer that. <laughs> uh, well, you can see my <laughs> allegiance. But uh, well, um, okay, we'll just l- let it be. Let it be. Yes, ma'am. I got gotcha. you. I'll just say I got you.
2: Oh, it's all right. So. The, wh- you know, I want to talk about the, the single that you've got, but I want to find out how you, we got to that point. So I want to know, when did singing really come into the picture for you? When did, when did it become a passion for you, something that you wanted to, do to pursue professionally?
1: When I was four.
4: <laughs> wow. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, literally that. I used to sit out on my back porch and sing my little heart out. And at six, I, I started writing my little melodies, and uh, my mother would get out different le- uh, uh, glasses and then put water in them at a different level so that I had, and give me a spoon, and then I would write songs on my glasses. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I was that at it when I was six years old. That's So it, it's always been, always been. How did you get into session work? When did that
2: start taking... How old were you, and and do you remember your first professional session, and how did you get that gig?
1: Well, uh, the fact of the matter is, all of us, including the Swampers, and if you saw the Muscle Shoals movie, then you understand what I'm talking about, Oh yeah. but we all grew up together, and so, for instance, I was in love with David Hood when I was 13 years old. Oh, wow. I mean, that's... That's how far we go back, oh, uh, all of those guys. And so we grew up together and we were all musical. And we, of course, gravitated into a, a wad <laughs> and ended up at all of these recording studios. And uh, that was our passion. That's what we wanted to do. And we just couldn't see our way into doing anything else. So the rest is kind of history that goes from Muscle shells all the way to San Francisco. Wow.
2: You actually sing on some incredible sessions. I mean, you're on Percy Sledges, When a Man Loves a Woman. Suspicious Minds. And I know there's a story behind Elvis's sessions with Suspicious Minds. Can you tell me a little bit about that and, and how often you got
1: to end up working with Elvis? Well, uh, we did quite a few songs on that first comeback album. Uh, one of course was Suspicious Minds in the ghetto, Rubbernecking, and uh, Kentucky rain, oh. a bunch of those kind of, songs that were on that album and it was right after that album that i got the major itch to go to california and so i left what was a very lucrative career like you said i'd sung on a whole bunch of even number one records you know and so i wanted a new adventure when i went to, to california it wasn't necessarily for anything musical i just wanted to go to California and have an adventure. And boy did I ever. <laughs> um, I do you mind if got I, my wish.
0: Hey Donna, this is Tommy. I do you mind if Hi, I, I jump in right there and ask the question too as well? I mean, the, so you were willing to give up music at that point at that point just to try California out? Is it because you got burnt out from the studio work or were you just ready for a new adventure in life and if the music happened, it happened?
1: That's about it. What you said last is I wanted a new adventure. I had, you know, been in the South and really not gone a lot of places out of my stomping grounds. And I wanted California. I just don't know how to say it any (laughs) any
4: better than that.
0: I'm actually in California myself, and I and I came out here with the same mindset. I grew up on the East Coast, and I wanted something different. So I get that.
1: Well, if music had, if it ended up that music had anything to do with it, that would be great, but that's not the reason that I went out there. And so I was very much amazed when I got out there that everybody was into the Grateful Dead. And I, I didn't get it. You know, I came (laughs) from, I I was a studio rat And, and, and so I came from earphones and everything being very arranged and, produced, arranged and produced, everything was. And so I had a controlled environment. And uh, I went to California, and in the Grateful Dead, it was the opposite.
0: (laughs) Absolutely.
1: The opposite. Wow. And uh, when I heard that band, it was it for me. I just said, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this. How in the world do they do that? And I that turned to work. the person next to me and I said, when I sing again, it's going to be with that band. Man. And um, sure enough.
0: <laughs> there you go. So when, when you say that you, at the beginning, uh, was it, were you a little afraid of the style of music because it was not controlled? Like you said, or, or it, it was very improvisational. And you weren't exactly used to that. Was it intimidating at all for you?
1: I wasn't scared of it. I was just, I wanted it. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so everything in me was, this is my new reality and I want to be in it and I'm going to do it. So I I wouldn't call it fearful. I would say exciting. Yeah. It was a, it was an, that was part of my adventure was this exciting music that I didn't know about. And then all of a sudden, there it is, right <laughs> in my face. And
0: but well, well, Donna, I, I know a bit, I know a bit about you, and I know uh, of the story of how um, you and Keith got involved in the band. That was because of of, of your guts to to go to the show and meet uh, Jerry Garcia himself, and, and literally ask him uh, if your husband uh, uh, it could be the next piano player in the band. But I, but I was always, I'm always curious about. You know how that goes because you mentioned in, in other interviews before that that keith was kind of at first intimidated and didn't you want to you guys you know didn't want to go backstage to first talk to, to jerry about this and then you you, you uh, set up a time to meet with him and so keith becomes a keyboardist so my question was when was it established that you were going to be singing in the band or was it he got the job as a keyboardist first and then you showed up at sessions, and then you're like, "Hey, you know what? I can sing a little bit." Or was that established from the first conversation? We're both going uh, joining this band.
1: Okay, you just asked me about five
0: questions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, you're a little excited.
1: <laughs> well, uh, first of all, Keith was he was very inward, and so mm-hmm. he he didn't have that. You know, I'm all out there and he was all in there, you know, as far as expression. And so when Garcia came and sat down with us in the audience, uh, because Keith and I were too afraid to go down, uh, go backstage, then Jerry came and sat down with us. And that's when I, and Keith couldn't see that. He couldn't see that Garcia was sitting next to him. And I said, honey, I think Jerry's hinting that he wants to talk with us He's sitting right next to you. And Keith looked at Jerry. He put his head down on the table and he said, you'll have to talk to my old lady right now. I can't talk. <laughs> and so and so I just let it rip. And I said, Keith is your next player and I need your home phone number so that we can call you and set up a time to play with the band. And, wow. um, and he gave me his home phone number and oh. Shortly thereafter is when that all happened. Now I'll answer one, another one of Tommy's <laughs> questions.
0: I appreciate it. I'm sorry. I got excited. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and uh, that was when we first met and played with Jerry, the band forgot to tell him that rehearsal had been called off. Oh gosh. And so it was just him and Keith and me. And so Jerry and Keith played, and it was magical. And I, Keith and I had written some things, and I was singing them, and we played Garcia. And then he called in uh, Quartzman, and Quartzman and Garcia, and Keith played. And it was magical, supposed to be, I, I guess you would say. Yeah. And uh, at the time, Jerry invited me to be in the band as well. Now it was the next day. I'm jumping ahead of myself a little bit. So the, the next day was full Grateful Dead rehearsal. That was on a Monday. And after Grateful Dead rehearsal on Monday, Keith was in the band. And uh, Jerry asked me to be in the band at the same time. And I said, I, I, I just want Keith to get to do it first. You know, let know. him let him have at it. Oh, wow. And I'll just lay back and, you know, learn the music and then we'll see what happens later. And, uh, so it was, Keith did two tours with them and then I joined.
3: Oh, okay. So, so cool.
1: that was the delay in the whole Keith and Donna thing.
0: When you guys first joined the band, you know, based on the years, uh, one of the, one of my most favorite albums of all time, but also a great album, Europe 72. I don't oh, know that was of course. Right. Yeah, of course. It's that's a lot of people's favorite. And so I I, you know, when when I'm looking at the years that you guys were in the band and then also the year that when that first came out, I'm thinking, oh wow, they were just there. And yeah. you know, relatively new to the band. And then here they are doing European tour and recording. And I'm thinking, I, I am I assume that was the first time that you got been overseas at that
1: time? Are, are you kidding? Of course. <laughs>
0: so <laughs> well, of a bunch of young kids was. touring the world, what a, what, a, what, what a way to jump right into it, right?
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, I had the distinction of being the only female in the band and was ever in the band and never was in the band, but I had to get out on stage. It was almost like be naked or something, you know, because, <laughs> yeah. because all of the, uh, the fans, it's like, what is this girl doing with our boys? My band, my band. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they did that at all, but I assume that some of them did. And, uh, right, so it was it, was, it was, um, well, let's put it this way it could have been a lot tougher than it was if i were not as tough as i am
2: <laughs> i can imagine
1: and i and um i knew i just knew that we were supposed to be there and it was a, a, a an amazing experience in in europe oh my gosh <laughs> fantastic oh, i can imagine She's, you know, a girl from Alabama and, you know, then California. And the next thing you know, you're in Egypt at some point. Yeah, I, I know. Okay. Now, Mark, it's
2: your turn to talk. Let him Sorry. So Tommy, right, so Tommy me, me brought up the Egypt tour, the, the Egypt shows. And I wanted to find out a little bit about that because the, the Grateful Dead was, I think, one of the first Western bands to play there in, in I, I don't even know how, maybe ever how did that come about? Was that something that the band wanted to do or did some, I know it was a benefit for handicapped children and the antiquities museum. Did they reach out to the band or did the band reach out to somebody in Egypt? Do you know how that all came together?
1: Well, it's my understanding. Well, first of all, we weren't, like one of the ones who first played there, we were the first band rock and roll band that ever played there. But my understanding is that Phil got in touch with the Egyptian department of antiquities and had a rapport with them and through Phil, uh, and he's an, an Egyptologist actually. Okay. I mean, he's, he's, in there with all of that. And I believe it was really Phil who pressed that through for us to be able to do that.
2: I can't imagine what it must've been like to be playing in front of, in Giza, you know, in front of the pyramids. I mean, were you able to kind of take it all in at the time or, or looking back on it? Are you, is there anything that, that you wish you had done or is that just one of the best concert experiences that you've ever had
1: the whole thing was one of the best experiences I've ever had on every level wow literally and uh, to be in front of the Great Pyramid and the Sphinx and singing and seeing Egyptians intermingling with you know the American hippies who flew over for the concerts it was it was a huge deal Yeah.
4: That's a good
1: Everybody was listening to the same music and getting the same thing out of it. They loved it.
2: Were you surprised mm-hmm. by the amount of people who traveled over to Egypt from the States to see the show? Heck
1: no. <laughs> <laughs> now they're a loyal bunch, Mark. You gotta be kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's quite they a had trip. a show on the moon, they would have been there. <laughs> That's quite a trip. <laughs> well, oh, I... well, Grateful Dead fans would have gone anywhere and done anything to be at that show. Seriously. I well, mean, it's not, yeah, they, that's not your everyday oh, concert fair. Yeah. No, that's
0: yeah. for sure. Hey, hey, hey Mark, yeah. do you mind if I asked Donna one more question? Go on, <laughs> on. Go on I go man. I'm going to squeeze one in here <laughs> and then we'll move on to like, to, into, into other music and a different era. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to ask, I, I have a quick question because I've always thought about this and, and I've, I've read some things somewhat. Uh, that may talk a little bit about this, but the wall of sound, for those who don't know, the De Grateful Dead for years played with a giant wall of sound, which is a, a wall made of speakers. And I was always curious, um, for a singer, not just a uh, someone who's playing a guitar or piano or, or drums, is that challenging to sing in front of a giant, that giant wall? And when it finally did go, were you happy to see it go? <laughs>
1: oh, was it challenging doing that? What in the head do you think? <laughs> I mean, here is the loudest sound system in the world, the biggest sound system in the world, playing the loudest music in the world. And I'm up there in the middle in front of the both drummers and and I have this little tiny little box in front of me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that I can sing th- that I can hear myself through. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, that was difficult. It was difficult. Yeah. yeah. I bet.
0: So when it went, you weren't you weren't too sad to see it go away.
1: <laughs> not too not too awfully sad. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I just imagine what it would be like to stand in front of that. It's like having a wind at your back, oh like my a God, pounding. Yeah.
1: Well, that's literally the truth. You know, it puts out a lot of air. Oh, yeah. It's pushing a lot of air.
2: You and Keith strike out on your own, but you were actually also playing shows together while you are in The Dead. When you left, was it just kind of uh, picking up and, and going, working on stuff you were you were working on at the same time that you were playing with The Dead? Or was did you guys decide to just, start something completely different with the heart of gold band.
1: Well, now you're asking something I'm going to have to dig about. Uh, <laughs> no problem. We have some tough questions was, here. The fact is by the time, you know, the, the later date of when Keith and I were in the band, it, it was bonkers. Right. You know, it, really was and I'm not going to get into all the whys and I had my son Zion who was a little boy at that time and Keith and I knew that we needed to be out of the band we knew that we had we, we had to you know for the sake of Zion and oh yeah yeah and just our marriage and everything I mean it's tough like a couple being in each other's presence and you know the, all the egos involved in everything. Twenty four hours a day, it was a tough gig. it yeah. that was a tough gig.
0: I can't
2: imagine. And
0: working, as well, working together as well, working yeah, together, living together.
1: Yeah, and as well, the band knew that. So we had a meeting at mining Keith's house and they expressed where they were at. And we expressed where we were at. It was a mutual decision. There was never any weirdness or anything like that.
2: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Did you and Keith pick up immediately and start playing your own music right after that? Cause you guys had been we- playing some shows In like, I I saw, um, actually, I saw a concert from '75 with Keith and Donna.
1: just continuing that when you left? Well, we were continuing Keith and Donna period uh, in whatever form that took. Okay. And so it happened to be the heart of gold band, but after uh, we left the band. We went to Alabama for about six months and okay. m- a much needed six months out on the lake and water skiing and, oh, and, nice. and Keith getting some sunlight and, <laughs> and, and some exercise and he skied and, you know, we had a blast for six months and then we came back and that's when the Heart of Gold band really started and picked up and we love playing in that band too and of course our good friends greg anton was in that mix and so was steve Kimock, and who are yeah. two of my dearest best friends in the whole world oh yeah mm-hmm. for this day Oh, okay it's, it's
0: amazing you know what i've always find so interesting is that when you're when it seems his own in that golden age of music there that people would play in different bands and they would get together and play in other bands. You know, you guys played, Jerry was a member of your band as not the front man, Jerry Garcia. And then you, and then Bill would play with you guys or you, someone from the wings would play with you guys or play with. Uh, Keith and, <laughs> and, and so it, it just, do you realize that, that how great that is? And I don't feel like that happens anymore. I mean, it happens more in the, in the jam band scene that, that, that you, that you still play in than any other form of music do you ever think about why that is why is, is it is it just the the it get it gets messy with rights and music or or egos? you know
1: it may get messy with rights and music today but it back then we didn't give a crap about all of that yeah. kind of stuff we mm-hmm. were just friends who wanted to play together and that's what we did and it didn't matter really which one of us did what one of us was doing something with one of the other one of us <laughs> so
0: yeah and, and that's what it was about
1: the music playing And that's other- what it was about it was always about the music money and prestige and all of that crap uh was not in our mix yeah Tommy and I it's were just different talking different today that. it's way different today yeah but yeah. back in those days it was very much the music belongs to the people period. Yeah,
0: And you heard somebody that you thought was interesting. You're like, we got to collaborate and do something. Cause I want to explore that now. Like you said, uh, me and Mark had also talked about it as just too much. Well, who's going to get credit for writing and who's going to, you know, uh, you know, gonna, who's going to get the money from the tour. I've, I've got to check same... with my
2: lawyers to make sure this doesn't conflict with my contract.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, Blah, blah,
2: blah,
1: blah, blah. Exactly. Blah,
2: blah. And that's one thing that I've, I really like, that whole scene that the Grateful Dead spawned, that whole jam band scene, they're a lot more open to doing that than so many other scenes or genres of music.
1: Okay, think about this. Back in those days, we're talking the late 60s and then the 70s, and of course it's kept on and on, yeah. but they were the only band, as far as I know, in the world that let you tape every concert and not charge you for it. Exactly. And you know what? And they did it because the music is for the people period. And you know what? The the good karma came back because of all of those tapes that are out there all over the world, they're still playing the Grateful Dead (laughs) and it's still happening it's not just like it was back in those days, but it's still happening very much so alive yeah. and well
0: it is that's for sure Mark, did you want to ask some questions about moving uh, after, uh, a little bit after Grateful Dead? yeah,
2: on. yeah I wanted to, I wanted to find out how you what you were doing after that I mean you' you've you've, uh, you've got a couple of really interesting albums out uh, you, with Jeff Matson in particular, How did you meet up with yeah. with him and, and the the Zen tricksters at the time?
1: Well, it was two thousand five. I say that with such clarity because Dennis McNally had me doing interviews, and every <laughs> every day I would be going two thousand five, two thousand um, five. Anyway, in two thousand five, uh, there is this, or was this concert event in Bridgeport, Connecticut, called The Gathering of the Vibes. And the Zen Tricksters were playing at that concert or festival, festival. And I got a call, I believe it was for Rob Baracco at the time. Maybe, I don't know. I can't remember that. But inviting me to come and sit in with them at that festival. And I did, and we just hit it off really well and pretty... Pretty soon, Jeff and I started writing together. And uh, the Zen Tricksters morphed into Donna Jean and the Tricksters. And then out of that, Jeff and I kept writing and uh, we wrote songs together on the Donna Jean and the Tricksters album. Gene God Show Band with Jeff Madsen. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. So that's how that kind of morphed. And uh, so here we are, and we have re recorded somewhat, or the correct language is remixed, right. the song Shelter from a song that we recorded on the Donna Gene and the Tricksters uh, album up in New York. Right. And um, do you want to ask me a question about that or should I just blab <laughs> away? Uh,
0: yeah, I, he was gonna ask you, we you, you, you recorded Farewell Jack from Keith and Don album and why did you decide to do it again 30 years later? And then also you can get into, we, de- we definitely wanna hear about why now? Why this album? Why remixed at this point? So okay. yeah, you just go into that.
1: Well, we did uh, Farewell Jack because I have always loved that song. all loved it and we wanted to do it and so by darn we just did it (laughs) and that's the long and short of that and Mookie Siegel sang it and he just did it great so we're it stood the test of time into Donna Jean and the Tricksters but anyway to get back to your the second part of your question Tommy Thank you. Uh. <laughs> I asked too many questions. I'm gonna go. No, but, you're but, this okay. is, but, but this is
0: interesting. It really is because
1: I'm just you know, there's a reason you. why
0: you want to do this again. I think in yes. these times.
1: Yeah, but but know that I'm just messing with you. I'm not. Oh, no, it's okay. Okay, <laughs>
0: uh, but trust me, I'm, I'm just happy to be here.
1: <laughs> well we recorded shelter which jeff and i wrote and it turned out really well i mean it's it's really good yeah but there was some things that were missing in it for me and for jeff and uh i don't know if you're a writer or what but when you do something you hear it in your head first and then you when it comes to fruition, you wanna be able to hear it like you heard it. Mm. And there were things that were missing. And uh, so all of these years since 2007, when it was released, Jeff and I have talked about redoing, especially the background vocals on the choruses. I wanted them, we wanted them to be really strong and more gospel sounding and just kick your butt vocals on those choruses. Right. And we just did not get that in the studio. It did not happen. And so here we are in this pandemic and we have the time to do it, the place to do it. Nobody has to travel. All of that stuff is one issue. The other issue is the song shelter is a hundred times more relevant today than it was back when, well, I wrote the lyrics to the song, uh, more relevant today than it was back then. And I, as I listened to it and thought about it, I just thought, well, that's, Time is right for that song. It's time is right now. So I got on the phone with Jeff and I said, I want to do this. I want to take this to the studio in Muscle Shells, which our best friend Jimmy Nutt owns, and it's called the Nut House, and it's the premier recording studio now in Muscle Shells. Anyway, so we got the hard drive, uh, brought it down to Muscle Shells, had it brought down to Muscle Shells, and I got my girls down here. There are three girls who do most of the background vocals on anything that's recorded in most of the shows. So I got them on the session, and they just kicked butt. <laughs> if you listen to the song, oh yeah, uh, they they nailed it. They did exactly what I had heard in my head from day one. And so, because the vocals then <laughs> the background vocals were so strong, I said, "Okay, now wait a minute, I'm in the studio, <laughs> and I'm in charge, and i'm I'm going to go further." <laughs> so I want the rhythm section to be more tribal sounding, to have it match up." to the way that the vibe of the song was turning out to be once these vocals were on the backgrounds and so my husband david who's a fantastic bass player david mckay he replaced the bass and then jimmy nutt who is also a drummer and owner of the studio replaced most of the drums Uh, we left some parts on some percussion things and Effect things that we left that Dave Diamond had done, who was a great drummer, but everything combined there was not turning out for that tribal sound that I wanted. It's why we did that. Okay, and so it matched the whole intensity of the song. it just totally changed it. It just absolutely changed the whole dynamic of the song. And it finally turned out to be what Jeff and I wanted it to be. And I sent it up to Jeff and here I am in Muscle Shoals. He's in Long Island and we get to do this during this pandemic. Can't go anywhere except (laughs) I live in Muscle Shoals where all these studios are and our best friend owns the best one. So, Okay. Hey, put on it. a mask and put on a mask and let's get to it yeah. so.
0: I have a, a follow-up question something you mentioned before uh, and saying that <laughs> the song the song is more relevant now than it, than it was in 2007. Can you elaborate on, on, on what it is about this song and, and or the lyrics or the meaning behind the song that, that resonates now with, with the world we live in?
1: Okay well when I wrote it something was going on overseas that prompted me to write those lyrics. And, uh, and then when I was thinking about it, you know, just this past year, I thought, okay, that song is a hundred times more relevant today than it was back when I wrote it. And, so the combination of those two things, the relevancy of a song today, this whole pandemic we're in, the global warming we're in, the whole political atmosphere, the whole everything atmosphere that the whole world is going through, actually, not just America. Right. That there's something to this. And so to put together that and the fact that Jeff and I had been wanting to do this for years anyway we knew that the time was right for us to proceed and get it done and get it out there and let people hear it so that's exactly what we did
2: so you remixed it and it sounds awesome I loved it
0: yes it's amazing well thank you and uh, are you, are you going to go back on the are you, have you been up obviously no one's been performing but are you when that time comes again and, and we could are you excited are you going to are you excited about that? Do you are you miss performing in front of people?
1: Well, I miss performing in front of people, but I don't miss all of that travel. <laughs> you know, when you're talking about going on the road, you know, for tours, I don't see myself doing that. You right. know, I I would do you know special things here and there with special people, and you know where it was a something special. I would okay. do you
0: know, in a heartbeat, but touring. Yeah. Uh, yeah so, so if I want to come
1: see you, I have to head down to the Southeast eventually.
0: Yeah. you
2: probably to have to come to my house. Hey, we we can, listen. I still have family down in Alabama. We, we can do that.
1: Where, where in Alabama?
2: Oh, the exact opposite corner of the state that you're in. Um, my family's all down in like around Dothan area. Okay. Down by, well, en- actually in Enterprise and, and uh, right off of Fort Rucker.
1: Okay. Well, we live what I call <laughs> the elite part of Alabama, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> which is on the beautiful Tennessee River. And yeah. we have two boats and it, I mean, it's just, it's beautiful where we are.
2: Northern Alabama is beautiful. It is mm-
1: yeah, especially
2: northwest. Oh, yeah, yeah. One. So I, I, have a, <laughs> I have a question for you. you know, Tommy brought up touring and all, and we've talked about some of these amazing tours that you you, you always remember. And is there a, a performance or a tour that you'd rather forget? Uh. <laughs> some some kind of weird mishap or anything like that, or oh. Not that I can talk
0: about. <laughs> Not that you can talk about. <laughs> All right. But I, but, 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 but I gather it's t- it's the those last few tours that she said she went on with the dead. And it, before they realized they needed to get their kid to safety. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> we needed to get us to safety, too. And they yeah. needed us gone, too. So it was just, you know, that's what was supposed to happen.
2: Well, you should write a <laughs> book.
1: Well, I do have a literary agent, actually, that I have been promising a book to for, let's see, how many years now. <laughs> uh, and I've started it probably five times. And um, and I, I want to do it, and I probably will. But it's, it's tough. It's like, it, it's not just like writing words. It's like you have to re-experience everything. Yeah. And, uh, and it's just like it happened, you know, so it's, it's not an easy thing writing a book. No, I can imagine. And then what to say and what not to say, and it's just loaded with things that you have to figure out and
2: potential landmines. Yeah.
1: A bunch of landmines. So we'll see, but I do, I do love to write and I do have something to say and loads
2: uh, of great stories.
1: And I will probably do that some sometime. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Where can people find the new single?
1: Well, I can tell you in one fell swoop how you can go just about anywhere and get it. And that is, grab your pencils, people. Um, <laughs> oh, Tommy's got his. I already heard it. <laughs> I'll type it. <laughs> Okay, Donna Jean and the Tricksters dot here now, H-E-A-R now dot com.
2: Okay, Donna Jean and the Tricksters dot here now dot com. That is
1: it, you smart fella.
2: I'll tell you what. Man, public school is no How joke. Would? <laughs> <laughs> is there two <Somebody>
0: Alabamians <laughs> talking together? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't understand what's happening. How's your mom or
1: <laughs> name, <laughs> Donna
2: Jean? How's your mom or name?
1: Mom or name? <laughs> well, they're yonder somewhere. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is, is, does, is,
2: is there a social media presence uh, where people can follow you on online, or Twitter, Instagram? Well, you,
1: know, you know what I did. I just took myself away from that, Smart. and uh, I just got so tired of it and just bombarded by it. And I asked my manager to get me, just get me off.
2: I can't get really out really here. blame you.
1: So Jeff Matson does have a website, okay. and the whole deal is there on his website. But as well, it, just to to download Shelter, you could just go to that the website that I just gave you, but also Jeff is on uh, Facebook and he has a website. So well, I'm sorry you can't hear from me on those platforms, but no, you better, I ain't going back.
2: I don't blame you. And well, I want to wrap up with one quick thing. Cause I thought this was really a, a really cool full circle moment is that when you were touring with the Jerry Garcia band, you ended up playing with Ron Tutt, who was also Elvis Presley's touring drummer. That's right. That so you know everything just comes full circle for you, Donna Jean.
1: Yeah, and I'll bore you with another story. Oh, please do. That um, <laughs> no, I believe we were. I believe we were making "Cats Under the Stars," and you know we've been playing with Tut for a while in, in the, the Garcia event and. And I, of course, knew that Tut was Elvis's road drummer. And he knew that I'd sang on Elvis's uh, comeback album. But we never really talked about Elvis. You know, every once in a while, he would mention it just kind of in passing. But we never had a conversation and talked about Elvis. And this one day, Tut said he was not going to be able to come to any more rehearsals for a little while or record for a while because he had to go on the road with Elvis okay and I said and I said well I don't know why I'm all of a sudden asking you this but when you see Elvis next would you tell him I said hello and and he said yeah I sure will and it so happened that a few days later and I can't remember how many days it was but not many I had to have emergency surgery and I was in the hospital and I was out of recovery and they just put me in my room and my phone rang and it was Ron Tut. And he told me I was had died. Wow. And um and I and he said and I saw him and I told him what you said. And he said, Oh, tell her I remember her and I hope I get to see her again. Wow. And that was That's it. Sure.
0: I mean, it's it's. Got that's a sad ending, but a great story.
2: That's incredible.
0: Oh my gosh!
2: I think that's a good one to end on.
0: Absolutely. Don't you can't, you can't top that now. No, <laughs> no, do thank you. But, but uh, I don't have I don't have any questions. But I do want to say uh, that this has been really fun for me and an honor. Donna, I do believe that you were part of the uh, the greatest, not only one of the greatest bands ever, but the greatest era that band ever played in. From the years that you were there, I thought they were at their best. And, I think uh, so too, honestly. Yeah, and I think that um, this was such an honor for me to talk to you. Uh, a version of Cosmic Charlie and Saint Stephen that you did is is a part of the soundtrack of my life. So uh, thank you very much for doing this and and letting me. And thanks, Mark, for letting me be part of this conversation.
2: My pleasure, mm-hmm. man. Well, Donna Jean, thank you so well, much for, for coming on.
1: Well, it's been nice talking with both you and Tommy. And I'm just glad we got to do this like this because it was just so natural and just, you know. Well, thank you. No pressure. Me, no pressure.
2: I, well, that's the whole point of the show. I just want it to be a conversation. <laughs> so. Well, we certainly had one. A great one. <laughs> yes,
1: through the roof, burning up the floor, I am undone. For sure, yesterday
2: Western Union customer, you can enjoy a $0 transfer fee on your first international online money transfer. Send money to your loved ones back home the fast, easy, and reliable way. Visit westernunion.com or download their app today to get started. And your first transfer fee is free. Services offered by Western Union Financial Services, Inc., NMLS 906983, or Western Union International Services, LLC, NMLS 906985, FX gain supply.